Okay, welcome back to Talking Knicks, presented by John Boy Media. I'm Tom Piccolo, coming to you with another episode in which the Knicks finished the week one and two. So I'm going to talk about those games. I'm going to get into R.J. Barrett's heroics in Los Angeles on Saturday. And I'm going to get into uh, the NBA trade deadline, including some other fun stuff. So let's do it. Let's talk Knicks. All right, so I am running this episode solo. The, the Brothers Poon it is their father's birthday today. Happy birthday, Dr. Poon. Um, so I'm going to be by myself here. I've got my beer in hand. It's a, uh, an IPA from Threes Brewing in Brooklyn, New York. Um, but yeah, so we're just going to be chopping it up talking about the week that was. Um, it, it started promisingly enough, right, with the Sacramento Kings win. And I will say, you know, we, we should kind of be past the point of taking wins for granted with this team. Like, every win should kind of be cherished. But there was some of that uh, that chatter, like, and I'll, I'll be honest, I was guilty of this too, watching the game. The Kings looked really bad. So it's like, oh, great, the Knicks beat a, a terrible team. But that's not entirely fair. Like, as, as bad as the Kings did look, especially defensively, um, you know, they were coming off a game in which they just lost by two points to the Philadelphia 76ers. And right after losing to the Knicks, they went and beat Brooklyn at home in Sacramento. So it's not like Brooklyn's playing great right now, but that's a very – that's a talented team. And uh, all that is to say – we shouldn't just kind of poo-poo a win against anybody, let alone the Sacramento Kings. Um, you know, it was kind of a, a real team effort against the Kings. Like Julius Randle shot his best he has in quite some time, uh, finished 7 of 14 from the field for 17 points. The Knicks were actually led by Alec Burks, who just shot the lights out in this one. He was making his threes. He was four or six from three, and he was actually making his free throws too. Um, that was nice. This, this game, the Knicks almost hit the 80% mark from the free throw line, which is it's exciting. We, we see this team miss a lot of free throws. Um, and so it was good to see that. You know, Evan Fournier kind of continued his, his hot shooting. He finished with 18 points, four or seven from three. And then R.J. Barrett, this was kind of the one game, you know, we'll get to him much <laughs> very soon because he, he was very impressive, obviously, in the, in the loss to the Lakers. But in this game, he was just one of eight from the field. Um, he just had one assist to four turnovers. Like, there's no question. It seemed like Barrett was, was uh, not just struggling, but maybe forcing the issue a little bit. I think he tends to do that sometimes in matchups where he's kind of – compared to certain guys. I think we saw that a little bit in Minnesota with Anthony Edwards. And then a little bit, I think, with Tyrese Halliburton. He kind of wanted to show Halliburton um, who's the better player, and it just didn't really – he was kind of forcing it and doing too much. Um, you know, Halliburton had himself a, a decent game, but at the end of the day, the Kings were, were just abysmal on, on the defensive end. They couldn't get stops. Um, the Knicks ended up winning this game 116-96. to 96. And that ended up being the, the high point of the whole week. You know, um, the, we knew that this next game against the Memphis Grizzlies was going to be a challenge. That proved 
very much to be the case. But, um, you know, it's not like the guy who everyone expected to beat us came in and just dominated. John Morant wasn't some, like, unstoppable force in this one. He finished the game 9 of 27 from the field, didn't hit a single three, missed all six of his attempts there. Um, yeah, he, he got to the line eight times, only made five of those. So, like, he, he took a ton of shots, was super high usage, um, finished the game with 23 points. And I'll give him nine, nine assists to two turnovers. That, that's really good for a point guard. But it was really some of the other guys who, who were impressive. Um, Jaron Jackson Jr. was a, a difficult matchup, to say the least. Um, yeah, we tend to have problems with, with guys who, who, like JJJ, he can play that stretch five. Granted, in the starting lineup here, he, he plays next to Steven Adams, who's just a, an absolute load. Like, that guy is a monster. But Mitch held his own. Mitch, Mitch did a really good job in this game. Um, it was probably one of the better Mitchell Robinson games that we can remember. Uh, I mean, he finished the game with 14 points, 11 boards, and eight blocks. Like, that's the big thing is he – a lot of these Grizzlies wanted nothing to do with Mitchell Robinson. Um, he was deterring a lot of shots in the paint, which I think is the mark of a, of a really good rim protector. He's not just getting blocks. He's also just stopping – the, the field goal attempts from even happening in the first place. And he was doing a lot of that. Mitch was just a monster in this game. Um, so, so, you know, props to him because obviously when Steven Adams wasn't playing they're they're going with uh, JJJ a lot at the, at the big spot. They sometimes played Brandon Clark at the other big spot and, uh, and Mitch just kind of went about his business. So that was cool to see. Um, R.J. Barrett, again, he was a little bit less efficient from the field, but he got to the free throw line 11 times, made eight of them, which is, I mean, eight for 11 in the free throw line at 73%. Like, that's fine. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually, you know, decent. But just the, the pure volume of how aggressive he was getting to the paint, getting to the line, um, that's what we wanted to see. And, uh, you know, I, I was, would be remiss to not mention Evan Fournier, was red hot in this one, particularly to start. Um, he finished the game 8-12 from three with for 30 points. It seemed like we kind of went away a little bit from him towards the, the second half, but he also cooled off a little. Um, I mean, man, when, when Fournier gets hot, it is, is really something else. Um, it, it's just so funny to, to, to watch him play because you never know, you really never know what you're going to get from Evan Fournier. He can look like the most dangerous player on the floor some games and others. He's just uh, a non-factor. So in this one, he was quite good. Um, Looking at the bench, like, you know, one storyline that I know we're going to go to uh, a little bit later as well is Emmanuel quickly. He, he's been struggling to shoot the ball in recent games. Um, You look at the last 15 games played, and quickly shooting 35.5% from the field. He's shooting the same percentage from three. Uh, and he just hasn't been finding his range, hasn't been uh, – he's had no touch uh, on his floater. He's been really struggling in recent weeks to, to just make shots. And that's what Manuel quickly has to do. I, I mean, look, I'm the first to admit that he's got to make shots. And when he's not making shots, like he still does contribute in other ways. He still – he does play sound defense 
for the most part. He's a, a good secondary creator and ball handler and keeps, and you know, when his shot selection isn't questionable, he keeps the ball movement moving. But um, yeah, in this one, he mostly struggled, but did hit a couple of back-to-back threes and uh, including a four point play that just, you know, there's just a lot of momentum shift when Emmanuel quickly comes into the game and, and he starts to play with pace. And when he hits shots, it's just a whole different ball game. So um, that's just, I mean, that's something that the Knicks need desperately from him is to just consistently just make more shots. It's simplistic, it's reductive, but that's just the, the fact of the matter. Um, yeah. And then just moving on, it was, it was a tough loss, but the Grizzlies are a better team than New York. I don't think this one ever really felt, you know, I don't think Knicks fans were ever really comfortable in thinking they were going to beat this team. Um, but, you know, I, I thought they, they played with solid effort and, uh, and that's kind of all you can ask for. I will say on, on the other end, Zaire Williams, uh, the rookie for Memphis, he had 21 points. And I'll, I got to be honest, coming into the draft this year, I was pretty low on Zaire Williams. Like I, I felt like he had a lot of super passive tendencies. I thought that his misses when he missed were just really bad. Um, so he had a few things that scared me, but he didn't miss much in this one. He was 9-11 from the field and um, just the stroke looked pure. He looked good. So, um, you know, I, I'll probably have to admit, based on this one-game sample, Zaire Williams much better than I anticipated he was going to be. Um, I, I, again, I thought that there was going to be kind of some more Kevin Knox to his game, just sort of uh, not playing with a lot of force and, uh, you know, so far, I'm, I'm going to have to walk that back a little bit. And now coming into Saturday night's game, uh, this one was, it was a tough loss. This was tough because there were several points throughout the game where it really felt like New York was in the driver's seat, where it felt like the, this was the Knicks game to lose. And they managed to do just that. Um, you know, the first quarter – the Knicks came out just with an incredible pace and, and really just off every miss, looking to push. Julius Randle sprinting down the floor. You're getting transition buckets, transition threes. Yes, it helps when, when the shots are dropping, but the, also the process was good. You're getting into their offense early. Um, you know, just every – the team finished with 42 points in the first quarter. It's just – it's incredible. Um, Barrett in particular had – I think 17 in the first quarter alone, which is super impressive, right? Like he, he came out looking to guard LeBron James, taking on that assignment, not just that, but then to, to score like that too. It was a real star-making performance for Barrett. He's had a few kind of high points. I would say that this, even despite the loss, was probably the high point of his season so far. Like on a national stage going against LeBron James, to put up the numbers, he finished – I mean, this is a career high for him. He finished with 36 points along with eight boards, five assists to three turnovers. And he played nearly 50 minutes. 50 minutes. Like, I mean, that's, that's frankly too much, and I could see how – and I didn't even mention that he hit the game-tying three-pointer to send it – in regulation to send it into overtime. Just as clutch of a shot as you're going to see. RJ's been the most clutch player on this team all season – and, uh, and Saturday's game was no different. But, 
you know, then we start to get into some of the other guys. I mean, you, you really can't say enough about Barrett's performance. It's, I, I really could go on just given where he was uh, just in, as far as his development, as far as his perception around the league, um, even as early as call it, I don't know, 20 games ago, 15, in the last 15 games, RJ Barrett is averaging 22 points on and nearly 40% from three on six attempts per game, including six boards, three assists. He's been a complete player. Um, it hasn't always translated into winning games, but I mean, for, for a 21 year old kid, he's, he's certainly made great strides. Uh, you know, I'm going to keep talking about RJ just cause that's the, that's the silver lining here. Um, he made some moves with the ball in his hands that we just haven't seen a ton of, you know, I, I think that the, uh, the knock on RJ early in his career has been a lack. And I mentioned this as well. just kind of a lack of creativity with the ball, a lack of some people call it wiggle. Um, that's kind of an annoying phrase, but just the ability to beat someone off the dribble without a screen. You got to have moves. You got to be able to change directions and get around your defender. Um, RJ did that a few times. Granted one time was against Russell Westbrook in the post and I know a lot of people were criticizing Westbrook's defense, which is a really, I mean, just the footwork on it was kind of, I mean, I am hesitant to even use it, but Kobe-esque. It was a beautiful kind of shot fake, spin, reverse pivot, like, and, and he used, like, he jumped off his opposite foot. It was just a, I mean, you'll see the clip. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you've probably already seen it. I'm not doing it justice in describing it because it was just a, a fairly complex move. Um, but there wasn't a lot of uh, extra movement to it. It was efficient, and it just, I mean, completely shook Russell Westbrook. Again, not saying a ton because of where Westbrook is in his career defensively, but uh, even so, just really encouraging to see that. He also had a gorgeous spin move um, off a cut. He was, uh, he was hit while he was cutting. Which, I mean, first of all, the Knicks rarely ever cut. So anytime we see a player make a cut and get rewarded, we have to call that out. And then Bear just had this gorgeous spin move going to his left. Um, and he was able to finish really going at full speed too. So a few plays there where RJ, in addition to shooting the ball very well, was, was doing it with the ball in his hands. And uh, yeah, again, he, he got to the free throw line nine times. Still only made six of those. You'd love to see him make seven, eight, all nine. <laughs> I mean, it's tough to leave so many of these extra points, uh, you know, just on the floor there. But that's, that's tough. But either way, RJ was just incredible. You can't really – you can't say enough about him. So moving on to, to some of the other guys, Julius Randle, you look at his line – and you're going to be pretty blown away by it. Just if you look at the box score, 32 points, 16 boards, seven assists to, to five turnovers, sure. But he had two blocks, including one just spectacular transition block that, that uh, ignited a fast you – know, it stopped a fast break on one end and ignited a fast break on the other where he finished a layup off a pass from RJ. Um, and, I mean, Julius's first half was – Unreal. It was really strong. He was playing with a ton of energy and 
something about that, the, the end of the second quarter, into the third quarter, the Knicks started to revert back to their level of play, their level of execution, their level of energy that we have seen in, uh, I mean, just for the rest of the season, for the most part. And Randall was no exception, man. Like he, he really struggled defensively in that third quarter when Malik Monk just torched us. I mean, Malik Monk outscored the Knicks single-handedly. I think it was 17 to 13. Malik Monk (laughs) outscored the entire Knicks team. Randall was getting put into pick and roll and he just, when Randall isn't switching, he just drops way too far back. He doesn't come out to the level of the screen and contest. Instead, he drops back into this drop coverage like he's going to protect the rim, but he's usually just giving a guy a wide open jumper or a runway to drive into him because he's not the longest defender. He's not the highest leaper. It's not like he's a, he's not a good rim protector flat out. So, you know, the strategy for, for Rand, using Randall and pick and roll at this point should really just be switch, switch everything with Julius Randall. I'm not the only one saying this. There's a lot of smart people on Nick's Twitter, smarter than me saying to do this. It's very clear, but And the thing is that when he's on the ball like that, when he's being challenged one-on-one like that, he gets, he's competitive. He will take on that challenge. But when he's just dropping the back into, into this pick and roll coverage, trying to protect the rim, it's, it's ugly. And it just doesn't look good. He's not hustling. And um, it resulted in a lot of Malik Monk points. So that was an issue. Um, and I'm not trying to sit here and criticize Randall as if he were the reason that the Knicks lost this game. He wasn't like, obviously he was, he shot 50% from the field. He was eight of 10 from the free throw line. He was a huge part of the reason that the Knicks were up big in the first half and even in it in the second half. But again, that third quarter, no one is off the hook. I mean, I gave RJ a bit of a pass because of just how well he played, but, between Randall, I mean, Fournier, Kemba, man, like Kemba, we're getting to a point where, you know, as good as those Knicks looked in the first half with Kemba on the floor, I think they looked even better with, with frankly, with Burks on the floor. And then, you know, Burks kind of became overburdened as the game went along. He finished with about 30 minutes played, but he was just asked to do a lot. He was also guarding LeBron James at times. He was also bringing the ball up the floor. Um, he seemed to really wear down as the game went along. And I think a big part of that was because Emmanuel quickly was removed from the rotation. And, uh, and obviously Cam Reddish is not a part of the rotation at this time. Um, but quickly played under five minutes total. And this is a guy who averages I don't know, 22, 23 minutes per game, maybe more. Um, he, he played fewer than five minutes and yes, he was bad. He didn't score. He was over one from the field. He took a floater. Um, he finished with one assist on the play where Julius Randall just laid out Austin Reeves and then, uh, and then quickly found him for, for an open step back jumper. Um, but quickly also had a really nice pocket pass to Obi Toppin, uh, on a screen and roll Toppin, Drove it in, got fouled, and actually missed both free throws, which was a huge bummer. Um, but, you know, I, I tweeted all about this today. Like, if you follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo, 
I gave my reasons for why I thought that quickly his performance wasn't as bad as people seem to make it out to be. At the very least, I think he's earned more trust than what Thibodeau showed him. He's earned the right to have a bad stretch of, I mean, like I said, he's been struggling in recent games. I'm not, you know, I'm not discounting that, but the team still needs him as a ball handler, as an energy guy. You know, he, he was having a hard time with Austin Reeves, but a lot of those were the result of poor team defense. The Knicks were, were hard doubling LeBron James. And because of that, you know, LeBron is going to find the open man. He's going to make the right play. He's too smart. You know, that's what makes him such a matchup challenge. But quickly he was often being tasked with guarding two guys at once. He was splitting the difference. He was being forced to close out and run guys off the line. But guess what? When Quickly's running guys off the line, he played all of his minutes with Nerlens Noel. And Noel had maybe his worst game of the season. He couldn't defend anybody. He was just he was not protecting the rim. He was late on his rotations. Um, Noel was brutal. So like Mitchell Robinson did not play great, but I mean, you, the plus minus kind of tells the story to a degree here as much as it can. Mitchell Robinson was plus eight in his 30 minutes. Nerlens Noel minus 15. Again, Mitch wasn't great, but he also wasn't, uh, abysmal like, like Nerlens Noel was. So I just have a hard time blaming all the, the struggles that the team had when quickly was on the floor on Emmanuel quickly. I just don't think that's the case. And again, I think that he's earned the right over his, his you know, season and a half of play to show he can get hot in a hurry. We saw him do that against Memphis when he hit those consecutive threes and energized the crowd and forced the opposing team to call timeouts. Like quickly is that guy and he plays that swagger. And I just, I, I didn't like the, uh, the decision to bench him for the rest of the game. Um, because I think it, it taxed too many players too much, right? So Alec Burks had to play more at the point guard, which meant he couldn't, Burks couldn't back up RJ Barrett. For that reason, Barrett played 50 minutes. Like it's not, as a coach, you can't necessarily plan for overtime, but even by the end of regulation, Barrett was, was getting tired. And I think that's part of the reason why the Knicks were just so, so bad in that overtime period. They scored four points. They couldn't hit anything. Um, so, yeah, I, you can't go messing around with rotations to that degree, especially in a game when, like, you know, maybe the answer in some cases would be play Quentin Grimes more minutes. I'd be for that. But, look, Quentin Grimes couldn't hit anything last uh, Saturday night. He was 0-4 from three. He missed this easy put-back layup. He was clearly just overthinking it. Um, you know, it was a big stage for the rookie. And I think that quickly has been there before. And I really do think that he would have stepped up the energy. So, I don't know. That, that to me, was a disappointment. And I'm not going to sit here and, and say, oh, Tibbs needs to be fired. Like, you're seeing all this nonsense on Twitter. But, uh, look, he, in my opinion, he kind of blew that uh, specific part. And I'm, I'm hoping that, that quickly, I expect he'll find his way back in the rotation. Um, I think this was just a one-game blip and to send a message. But – Jeez, it was, it was a tough game. It, it felt like a game we should have won. And, and the fact that, that didn't happen, it was, it was disappointing. So that was the week that was. That's pretty much uh, all I've got to say about that. I, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot to be said about the, the team's rotations and the starting point guard situation. We talk about it every week. But the big thing is that the NBA trade deadline 
is coming up. It's on, it's this Thursday, February 10th. Um, there hasn't been like a ton of buzz. I, I know Ian Begley reported that, uh, that Julius Randall could be available for the right return as Knicks weigh their options ahead of the trade deadline. I mean, everyone's available for the right return. So that's not, you know, that's not breaking news for me. Um, who else? I know like Ian also reported that the Knicks weren't open to trading Alec Burks for the sole reason of opening a roster spot for someone like Cam Reddish. Um, okay. I think that's understandable that that would be their position. Um, especially if you just think that Alec Burks helps you win, helps you win more games than Cam Reddish does right now. But at some point we're going to need to start focusing on, on development because, you know, I'm just going to pull up the standings right now just to take a look at where the Knicks are sitting. Currently the Knicks are the 12th seed. They're 24 and 29. They're just a game and a half back from the 10th slot, which is a playing game. Um, but they are three and a half games from the Celtics in eight. I'm sorry, four and a half. Well, sorry, they're f good math. I guess the beer is working. They are four and a half games out of the eight spot. Um, so that's, you know, there's a lot of teams in between them and Boston. I think that uh, the playoffs are looking kind of – that looks more and more bleak as we go along, and I just – I don't have a lot of confidence that this team, especially with the upcoming slate they've got on deck – I mean, this upcoming week is a murderer's row. It's in Utah, in Denver, in Golden State, in Portland, sure. But then you've got – I mean, these are some tough games coming up. Those first three in particular – I don't know that I see a win there. Um, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough. So I, uh, the NBA trade deadline, I'm, I'm worried that it's going to be completely uneventful. I'm, I've been wrong before. I didn't expect a Cam Reddish trade. You know, I would have, that was frankly very surprising to me. Perhaps even more surprising is just the fact that he hasn't, played at all you know I know everyone's saying oh you give up a first round pick how are you not going to play the guy I think we have to wait until after the trade deadline to see how that shakes out but if the reports are true that the Knicks aren't open to trading their vets for the sole purpose of opening up roster spots what does that mean like so does that mean that they would only trade Alec Burks if they got picks in return um if they got some sort of asset I don't I don't think you're going to get a player better than Alec Burks in return. Um, Cause why would a, a team that's looking to compete do that? So it's just, I don't know. It, it's looking a little uh, anticlimactic. It's looking a little uneventful on the horizon here. I pretty much what I'm saying is any move that is made will end up probably being a surprising one to me. Kemba Walker, I would like to see him get moved at this point. I don't think he's adding a ton of value the way he's being used. I don't, I don't even like blaming Kemba for this. I just, he's straight up not being used as a point guard. He said it in his last presser. I know Fred Katz 
counted the times <laughs> that Kemba Walker said the word different, as in his role is different and how he's not playing in the style he's used to. Everything's different for him this year. Um, I don't think he's happy with his role either. And we're certainly not happy with, with his performance on the floor. So I, I, it would be nice to move on from him. Who knows if it's going to happen? I, I really don't know. Like the, the big, the big trade deadline acquisition here could be getting Derek Rose back. And that's about it. I don't know what that's going to do to the rotation as it stands, who's going to get uh, eliminated from the rotation. If it leads to fewer quickly minutes, that's going to be a bummer. It's going to be a real bummer. Um, so yeah, things are going to get a little dicey here, guys, as, as the season comes to a close and, and goes down this, I mean, into all-star break, like it's, there's a chance that there's going to be some real angst from Knicks fans. And we've already seen a lot of angst from Knicks fans. We, we know what that feels like. And I, and I think it can be uh, really ratcheted up in these coming weeks. Just that's, that's my feeling. I, it, it's a pessimistic one, but I'm, I'm just not seeing where the trades are. You know, I'm not paid to do that. That's Leon Rose's job. I mean, hopefully he's found some, uh, some diamonds in the rough or some, some moves I'm not seeing, but it, it's very hard to see um, the path to whether it's actually finishing this season to compete for the playing game slash, you know, eight seed or, you know, opening up roster spots and, playing time for, for our young guys. Um, I, I don't think we're going to see a ton of Cam Reddish down the stretch. I don't think we're going to see a bunch of Grimes, or uh, no, I'm sorry, not Grimes, Deuce McBride. Um, but hey, hopefully I'm wrong. All right, folks, I'm sick of the sound of my own voice. You are probably feeling the same way. So I, you know, I'm actually not going to get into what else is on right now. That's more fun to talk about with other people. Um, and when I, uh, when I wrap this up, I'm probably going to go watch the most recent episode of the after party on Apple TV plus that's a show we've been digging lately. So listen, if you've got this far, I appreciate you listening. Uh, make sure you give us a five-star rating, leave a review, say something nice. Um, follow us on Twitter at talking Nicks. You can follow me on Twitter at Tom underscore Piccolo. Follow us on Instagram too, talking Nicks. And we really appreciate you listening. And uh, next week, I should be on with some more of our hosts. Until then, thanks again. And hey, let's go Knicks.